Well, hello, friends, brothers and sisters, children of God. Welcome back to Jack the Bridge. As this is not one of the longer chapters I'm going to read from Nikos Katsanzakis, The Last Temptation of Christ, this will be chapter 10. But before we get there, I'd like to just mention a couple of things. Uh, one is that it seems that I it I have after today twenty three chapters to complete. I I had a um, internal goal of doing this by Easter Sunday of of completing the reading of this uh, this incredible book, um, and we will see where I get. Some chapters are a little longer than others, as you can tell. And, uh, and I'm pleased to know that some of you, uh, who are listeners hear this or listen to it during your commute. And that is, uh, one thing that <clears throat> as I considered what I would read and how long I would take to, to put together any of these, uh, compilations, uh, that the average was 37 minutes. And funny enough, uh, the average commute is 37 minutes, uh, is what was really directed or, or advised. And the first one or two that I did were somewhere right in that range, just, just as it happened to be. And then I think I learned that information, but some of these chapters drag this out to nearly an hour. So I apologize if it's harder to keep up, um, with everyone's busy schedule. Uh, what I also learned in review research, and I'm sorry if this is redundant or if anyone, if, uh, if any of the other brothers and sisters have gone over this lately, um, as far as our, our extended family, um, really the, the root of it is obviously Christ, but, uh, but Bards FM and Scott Kesterson's ministry is, is, uh, has been a vital uh, at least for me, link to, uh, and, and inspiration to, uh, um, to do, to do this podcast among other, uh, things that I'm sure we'll, we'll all discuss. And, and we just, we, we all have a, uh, an agrarian understanding, um, uh, what it is to be an American, what it is to be in a patriot, a patriot, no matter what your lineage is or, uh, where you originally came from or what you, who brought you up. Uh, of course, those things are critical too. Um, it, it, well, m- more than anything else, uh, for, for a lot of people, the parenting they did or did not experience. Um, anyway, the neat thing that I, I wanted to just get to is that the, uh, I was looking at the Easter calendar and that's what it brought me back. What brought me back to wanting to, to go into some depth about this for a minute. Uh, the, the Easter calendar was first standardized, uh, in 325 AD by the Council of Nicaea and they standardized the system for determining the date of Easter. Um, and it's based on the ecclesiastical full moon tables. This was, this was modified and think of this. This wasn't modified for damn close to 1200 years. It was modified in 1538 
uh, that was done um, with the ecclesiastical tables. Uh, the the original moon, also called the fat Pascal moon, Pascal meaning Passover in Aramaic. The Pascal moon is the first moon uh, after the vernal equinox, which is three twenty one March twenty first. Um, this year, that that it's the first the Easter becomes the first full moon Sunday or the first Sunday after the full moon appears after the vernal equinox. So this year it will be Sunday, the ninth of April. Uh, the range of Easter Sunday can be anywhere from the twenty second of March to uh, up until the 25th of April. Um, other interesting facts are that a Pascal lamb. Now, I had a couple of friends who were Jewish growing up, but I, I have to say no Orthodox. Uh, I might uh, maybe re reformed, but of course I, I wasn't close to uh, those families, but one or two kids who were, who were mixed like uh like a lot of us are of different lineages. Um, but anyway, I didn't know anyone who, who uh, any of the families uh, who, who necessarily got a, a male goat. And the rule was that this Pascal lamb is actually a male goat that's over one year old. And it gets slaughtered at twilight on Jewish Passover, which uh, is, is most people... Uh, most Christians in, in the country, in this nation, as far as I know, are, are aware of the fact that that's also Good Friday, if you're paying attention. Um, this is also called the Nisan Lamb, N-I-S-A-N. Um, anyway, that's a pretty neat piece of information, and again... I apologize, but these are the kinds of things uh, that are reviewed for me for many years away uh, ago, in a sense, probably 36 years ago. Uh, and, of course, my mind was into other things than just this academic end of it and, and uh, whether, it's a, whether it's a grade, I, I, uh, our, faith, our, our sense of faith in our uh intimacy with God is something that evolves, changes, I believe goes goes up and down uh, for some on a cycle if we looked at the numbers. So here we go. Chapter 10, Nikos Katzenzakis, Last Temptation of Christ. Far away in Nazareth, Mary, the wife of Joseph, sat in, the, in her simple cottage. The lamp was lighted, the door opened. Hurriedly, she wound up the wool which she had spun. She had decided to rise and comb the villages in search of her boy. She wound and wound, but her mind was not at, on her work. Lonely and hopeless, it roamed the fields visited Magdala and Capernaum, searched all around the shore of the Lake of Genesaret. She was seeking her son. He had 
run away again. Once more, God had prodded him with his ox goad. Doesn't he pity him? She asked herself, doesn't he pity me? What have we done to him? Is this the joy and glory he promised us? Why, God, was it Joseph's staff which made which you made blossom, forcing me to marry an old man? Why did you cast your thunderbolt and plant it in my womb, this daydreamer, this nightwalker of an only son? The whole time I was pregnant, the neighbors, they came and admired me. Mary, you are blessed above all women, they said. I had blossomed. I was an almond tree covered with flowers from the roots to the highest branches. Who is this flowering almond? The passing merchants used to ask, and they stopped their caravans, got off their camels, and filled my lap with gifts. Then suddenly a wind blew, and I was stripped bare. I folded my arms over my fallow breasts. Lord, your will has been done. You made me blossom. You blew. The petals fell away. Is there no hope I may blossom again, Lord? Is there no hope my heart may grow calm? Her son asked himself early the next morning. He had gone around the lake, and now he saw the monastery opposite him. Wedged in among the tree, the red-green tree rocks. And as I proceed and near the monastery, my heart becomes more and more troubled. Why? Haven't I taken the right road, Lord? It's toward this holy retreat you've been pushing me, isn't it? Why then do you refuse to extend your hand and gladden my heart? Two monks dressed all in white appeared at the monastery's large door. They climbed up onto a rock and gazed out in the direction of Capernaum. Still no sign, said one of them, a half-crazy hunchback with a, bee, with a behind which nearly scraped the ground. He'll be dead by the time they arrive, said the other, a huge elephant of a man whose mouth, a shark-like slit, reached fully to his ears. Go ahead, Jeroboam. I'll keep on the lookout here until Camel appears. Fine, said the delighted hunchback, sliding down from the rock. I'll go and watch him die. The son of Mary stood irresolutely, on the monastery's threshold, his heart oscillating like a bell. Should he enter or not, the cloister was circular and paved with flagstones. Not a single green tree graced the courtyard, not a flower, not a bird. Only wild prickly pears all around. Along the circumference of this round, inhuman desolation were the cells, carved into the rock like tombs. Is this the kingdom of heaven? The son of Mary asked himself, is this where a man's heart grows calm? He looked and looked, unable to decide to cross the threshold. Two black sheepdogs flew out of the corner and began to bark at him. The stunted hunchback noticed a visitor and silenced the dogs with a whistle. Then he turned and scrutinized the newcomer from tip to toe. The young man's eyes seemed full of affliction to him. 
The clothes he wore were very poor, and blood trickled from his feet. He felt sorry for him. Welcome, brother, he said. What wind has tossed you out here into the desert? God, the son of Mary answered in a deep, despairing voice. The monk got frightened. He had never heard human lips pronounce God's name with such terror. Folding his arms, he said nothing. After a short pause, the visitor continued. I've come to see the abbot. Maybe you'll see him, but he won't see you. What do you want with him? I don't know. I I had a dream. I, I've come from Nazareth. A dream, said the half-crazed monk with a laugh. A terrible dream, Father. Since then, my heart has had no peace. The abbot is a saint. God taught him how to explain the languages of birds and dreams. That is why I came. It had never entered his mind to come to this monetary, monastery to ask the abbot to explain the dream he had on the night he constructed the cross. That chase, that wild chase in his sleep and the red beard rushing in front of and the dwarfs who followed him with their instruments of torture. But now he stood irresolutely on the threshold. Suddenly the dream tore across his mind like a flash of lightning. That's it, he shouted to himself. I've come because of my dream. God sent it in order to show me my road, and the abbot is going to untangle it for me. The abbot is dying, said the monk. You've arrived too late, my brother. Go back. God commanded me to come, the son of Mary replied. Is he capable of hoaxing his children? The monk cackled. He had seen a good deal in his lifetime and had no confidence in God. He's the Lord, isn't he? So he does whatever comes into his head. If he wasn't able to inflict injustice, what kind of omnipotent would, would he be? He slapped the visitor on the back. He meant to slap the slap to be a caress, but his huge paw was heavy and it hurt the youth. All right, don't get worried, he said. Here, step inside. I'm the guest master. They entered the cloister. The wind had arisen. The sand swirled over the flagstones. An opaque windstorm girded the sun, and the air grew dark. Gaping in the middle of the yard was a dried-out well. At the other times, it was filled with water, but now... It had become filled with sand. Two lizards emerged warm to warm themselves on its corroded brim. The abbot's cell was open. The monk took his visitor by the arm. Wait here while I ask the brothers for permission. Don't budge. He crossed his hands over his chest and entered. The dogs had placed themselves on either side of the abbot's threshold. Their necks stretched forward. They sniffed the air and they yelped mournfully. 
The abbot lay stretched out in the middle of the cell, his feet toward the door. Around him, the waiting monks dozed, exhausted by their all-night vigil. The moribund, stretched out as he was on his mat, kept his face continually tensed up and his eyes open, riveted on the gaping doorway. The seven-branched candelabrum was still next to his face. It illuminated the polished arch of his forehead, and insatiable eyes, the hawk-like nose, the pale blue lips, and the long white beard which reached his waist and covered the naked bony chest. The monks had thrown incense, kneaded with dried rose petals, onto the lighted coals of an earthenware censer, and the perfume invaded the air. The monk entered, forgot why he had done so, and squatted on the threshold between the two dogs. The son had the door in its grasp now and was trying to enter, to touch the abbot's feet. The son of Mary stood outside, waiting. There was no sound save the whining of the two dogs and in the distance, a, the slow rhythmic blows of a sledge on an anvil. The visitor waited and waited. The day advanced. They had forgotten him. There had been a frost during, during the night, but now as he stood outside the cell, he felt the delicious warmth of the morning sun enter his bones. Suddenly the silence was broken by the voice of the monk who was carrying and doing central duty on the rock. They're coming! They're coming! The monks in the abbot's cell awoke and a start and flew outside, leaving the abbot all alone, nerving himself. The son of Mary took two steps timidly and stopped on the threshold. Inside was the calm of death of immortality. The abbot's pale, slender feet gleamed, bathed in sunlight. A bee buzzed near the ceiling. A fuzzy black insect flitted about the seven lights, hopping from one to the next as though trying to select its crematorium. Suddenly the abbot stirred, exerting all his strength. He raised his head. And at once, the eyes popped out of his head. His mouth dropped open. His nostrils sniffed the air, twitching insatiably. The son of Mary put out his hand to his heart, lips and forehead in the sign of greeting. The abbot's lips moved. You've, you've come. You've, you've come. You've come. He murmured so imperceptibly that the son of man the son of Mary did not hear, but a smile of unspeakable bliss spread over the abbot's severe, embittered face and straightened his eyes closed. The nostrils remained motionless. His mouth shut and the two hands, which were crossed over his breath, rolled one to the right and the other to the left and rested on the ground with open, upturned palms. In the courtyard, meanwhile, the two camels had knelt. The monks rushed forward to help the old rabbi dismount. Is he alive? Is he still alive? The young novice asked in anguished tones. He's still breathing, answered Father Habakkuk. 
He sees and hears everything, but does not speak. The rabbi entered first, followed by the novice with the precious wallet containing the healer's salves, herbs, and magic amulets. The two black dogs, their tails between their legs, did not even turn their heads. Their necks were stretched out against the ground, and they were yelping woefully like human beings. The rabbi heard them and shook his head. Ah, I've come too late, he reflected, but he did not speak. He knelt by the abbot's side, leaned over his body, and placed his hand on his heart. His lips were almost touching those of the abbot. Too late, he whispered. I, I've come too late. Long may, long may you live, fathers. Crying out, the monks stooped and kissed the corpse, each according to his length of service as prescribed by custom. Father Habakkuk, the eyes, the remaining monks, the beard and upturned palms, and the novices, the feet. And one of them took the abbot's cross here from the empty stall and laid it next to next to the holy remains. The old rabbi knelt and regarded him, unable to tear away his eyes. What was this triumphant smile? What meaning had this mysterious gleam around the closed eyes? A sun, an unsetting sun, had fallen over his face and remained there. What was this sun? He looked about him. The monks, still on their knees, were paying homage to the deceased. John, his lips glued to the abbot's feet, wept. The old rabbi shifted his glance from one monk to the next, as though questioning them. And suddenly his eye was caught by the son of Mary, standing motionless and tranquil in the back corner of the cell. His hands crossed on his breast. He spread over the whole of his face with the same calm, triumphant smile. Lord of hosts, Adonai, whispered the terrified rabbi. Will you never cease tempting my heart? Help my mind now to understand and decide. The next day, an angry, blood-red sun, ringed by a dark tempest, bounded out of the sand. A fiery east wind arose from the desert, and the world turned black. The monastery's two ebony dogs tried to bark, but their mouths filled with sand, and they remained still. The camels, glued to the ground, closed their eyes and waited. Slowly, linked one to the next in a chain, the monks groped their way forward, struggling not to fall. Swashed together in a row and holding the abbot's remains tightly in their arms so that the wind would not take from them, they proceeded, going to bury him. The desert swayed, rose and fell like the sea. It's the desert wind, the breath of Jehovah murmured John, leaning his entire body against the son of Mary. It withers every green leaf, dries up every spring, spring, fills your mouth with sand, will simply leave the sacred remains in a hollow, and the waves of the sand will come to cover them up. The moment they passed over the monastery's threshold, the red-bearded blacksmith, his hammer over his shoulder, 
rose up, black and enormous, out of the swirling mist and looked at them for an instant, but immediately disappeared, enveloped by the sand. The son of Zebedee saw this ogre in the middle of the sandstorm. Terrified, he clutched his partner's arm. Who was that? He asked softly. Did you see him? But the son of Mary did not reply. God arranges everything perfectly and exactly as he desires. He reflected. Look how he brought Judas and me together here in the desert at the very ends of the earth. Well then, Lord, let your will be done. Bent over, they advanced all together, planting their feet in the burning sand. They tried to block their mouths and nostrils with the edge of their robes. But the fine sand had already descended to their throats and lungs. The wind suddenly took hold of Father Habakkuk, who was in the lead. It twirled him around and threw him down. The monks, blinded by the clouds of sand, walked over him. The desert whistled. The stones jingled. Old Habakkuk uttered a hoarse cry, but no one heard. Why shouldn't Jehovah's breath be the cool breeze which comes to us from the great sea, the son of Mary was thinking. He wanted to ask his companion, but could not open his mouth. Why couldn't the wind of Jehovah fill the dried out wells of the desert with water? Why couldn't the Lord love the green leaf and feel the pity for men? Oh, if only one man could be found to approach him, fall at his feet and succeed before being reduced to ashes and telling him of man's suffering and of the suffering of the earth and of the green leaf. Judas stood still in the low doorway of the isolated cell, which the monks had given him as a workshop. Splitting with laughter, he watched the funeral procession, which rolled and pitched, sank away and vanished at one moment and reappeared at the next. He had caught sight of the person he was hunting, and his dark eyes gleamed with pleasure. Great is the God of Israel, he whispered. He arranges everything so beautifully. He has brought the traitor right to the point of my knife. He went inside, stroking his mustache with delight. The cell was dark, but in a small furnace in the corner, the burning glows, coals glowed fiercely. The low-rumped monk, half-saint, half-lunatic, was poking the fire, bellows in hand, the blacksmith was in a good mood. Hey, Father Jeroboam, he said. Is this what they call the wind of God? I like it. I like it very much. I would blow that way myself if I were God. The monk laughed. Oh, I wouldn't blow at all. <laughs> I'm worn out. He abandoned the bellows in order to sponge the sweat from his forehead and neck, and Judas approached him. Will you do me a favor, Father Jeroboam, he asked. Yesterday, a young man with a small black beard came as a guest to the monastery, a half-lunatic like your worship. <laughs> he was barefooted, wore a red-spotted kerchief on his head. 
Well, I was the first to see him, said the monk, putting putting on airs. But my dear Smith, he's no half-lunatic. He's as crazy as they come. Says he had a dream and traveled from Nazareth. <laughs> so that the abbot, so that the abbot may rest in peace, could disentangle it for him. All right, then. Listen, you're the guest master, aren't you? Whenever anyone comes, isn't it you who fits up his cell, makes his bed, takes him to eat? That's me. No doubt about it. It seems I'm hopeless in any other function. So they made me the guest master. I wash, I sweep, and I feed the visitors. Fine. Put his bed in my cell tonight. I can't sleep alone, Jeroboam. How can I explain it to you? I have nightmares. Satan comes and tempts me, and I'm afraid I'll be damned in hell. But as soon as I feel a human being breathing near me, well, well I grow calm. Go on, do it. I'll give you a present. A pair of sheep shears so you can trim your beard. You can barber the monks too and clip the camels. No one will call you untalented anymore. Do you hear what I say? Well, bring me the shears. The blacksmith rummaged through his bag and extracted a pair of huge, rusty scissors. The monk snatched them, brought them close to the light, opened them, closed them. His admiration was endless. Lord, you are great and wonderful, your works, he whispered, completely stupefied. Well, said Judas, shaking him violently to wake him up. You shall have him tonight, the monk answered. Seizing the scissors, he left. The others returned already. They had not been able to go very far, for the wind of Jehovah twirled them around and threw them to the ground. They found a pit, rolled the carcass in, and called for Father Habakkuk to say a prayer. But he was nowhere to be found. And the old rabbi of Nazareth bent over the pit and shouted to the evacuated, soulless flesh, Dust you are! Return to dust! The soul within you has fled. You are no needed. You are needed no longer. You have accomplished your duty. Flesh, you have accomplished your duty. You aided the soul to descend to its earthly exile, to walk for a few suns and moons over the sand and stones, to sin, to feel pain. A few suns and moons over the sand and stones to sit again, to feel pain, to yearn for heaven, its fatherland, and for God, its father. Flesh, the abbot no longer needs you. Dissolve! Even while the rabbi spoke, a layer of fine sand was deposited over the abbot's corpse. The face, beard, and hands sank away. Still, more clouds and sand arose, and the monks moved hurriedly, and they retreated. The moment the half-crazed guest master snatched his deep shears 
and left the blacksmith, the monks, blinded. Their lips cracked, their hairs, their armpits chafed, burrowed into the monastery, carrying old Habakkuk, with whom they had found on their way back, half buried in the sand. The old rabbi brushed his eyes, mouth, and neck with a damp cloth and squatted on the ground in front of the abbot's empty stall. Through the bolted door, he could hear the breath of Jehovah and parch and obliterate the world. The prophet strode across his brain from temple to temple. It was in fiery air such as this that they had cried out to God. And at the approach of the Lord of hosts, they must have felt a similar burning of their lips and eyes. Of course, God is a scorching wind, a flash of lightning. I know that, he murmured. He is not an orchard in bloom. And the heart of man is a green leaf. God twists its stem and it withers. What can we do? How can we behave towards him to make his expression grow sweeter? If we offer him sacrificial lambs, he shouts, I don't want them. I don't want flesh. My hunger is satisfied only with psalms. If we do open our mouths and begin to sing the psalms, he shouts, I don't want words, nothing but the flesh of the Lamb, of the Son, of the only Son will satisfy my hunger. The old rabbi sighed, thinking about God, had driven him furious and wore him out. He looked for a corner where he could lie down. The monks, exhausted from lack of sleep, had scattered to their cells to go to bed and dream of the abbot. His spirit would roam that monastery for 40 days, would enter their cells to see what they were doing and to give them advice or scold them. They lay down, therefore, both to rest and to see him in their sleep. The old rabbi turned and looked around him. No, he saw no one. The cell was empty except for the two black dogs. They had entered had lain down on the flagstones and were mournfully sniffling the deserted stall. Outside, the rabid wind beat on the door. It wanted to come in too. But as the rabbi prepared to lie down next to the dogs, he discovered the son of Mary standing motionless in the corner, watching him. All at once, the sleep fled from his drowsy eyelids. Troubled, he sat up and nodded to his nephew to approach. The youth seemed to have been waiting for the invitation. He came forward, a bitter, bitter smile quivering about his lips. Sit down, Jesus, said the rabbi. I want to talk to you. I'm listening, the youth replied, and he knelt opposite him. I want to talk to you, too, Uncle Simeon. What are you looking, what are you seeking here? Your mother goes around the villages looking for you and lamenting. She seeks me. I seek God. We shall never meet, answered the youth. You are heartless. You never loved your father and mother as a human being should. So much the better. My heart is a lighted coal. 
It burns whomever it touches. What's the matter with you? How can you talk like that? What is lacking in you, said the rabbi, stretching forth his head to get a better look at the son of Mary. The youth's eyes were brimming with tears. A hidden pain is devouring you, my boy. Confess it to me and relieve yourself. A hidden pain deep down. One, interrupted the youth. And the bitter smile spread over his entire face. Not one. Many. The heart-rending sound of this outburst terrified the rabbi. He placed his hand on the youth's knee to give him courage. I'm listening, my boy, he said gently. Bring your sufferings into the light. Draw them up out of your bowels. They thrive in darkness, but light kills them. Don't be ashamed or afraid. Speak! But the son of Mary had not the slightest idea how to begin or what to say, what to keep unrevealed deep in his heart, what to confess in order to relieve himself. God, Magdalene, the seven sins, the crosses, the crucified, all were passing through him and lacerating his insides. The rabbi regarded him with a look of mute supplication and patted his knee. Can't you, my child, he said finally in a low, tender voice, can't you? No, Uncle Simeon, I cannot. Are you beset with many temptations? He asked, his voice even softer now and tenderer. Many, ah, oh, many, answered the youth. When I was young, my child, the rabbi said with a sigh, I too suffered much. God tormented and tested me as he does you. He wanted to see if I could bear up. For how long? I too had many temptations. I wasn't afraid of some. The ones with savage faces, but others, the tame ones, the ones full of sweetness, those I feared. And as you know, in order to find a respite, I came to this monastery, just as you have done. But God did not give up the chase as it was here, right here. And he caught me. He sent a temptation, dressed like a woman. Alas, I fell before this temptation. And since then, perhaps that is what God wanted. Perhaps this is why he tormented me. Since then, I have been tranquil. And so is God. We were reconciled. Now we are friends. In the same way, my child, you, you will become reconciled with God and be cured. Son of Mary shook his head. I do not think I shall be cured so easily, he murmured. He remained silent, as did the rabbi next to him. They were both breathing rapidly, gasping. I, I don't know where, where to begin, said the youth, starting to rise. I shall never begin. I'm too ashamed. The rabbi kept a firm hold on the youth's knee. 
Don't get up, he commanded. Don't go away. Shame is also a temptation. Conquer it. Stay. I'm going to ask you some questions. I'll do the asking, and you're going to be patient and answer me. Why did you come to the monastery? To save myself. To save yourself. From what? From whom? From God. From God, the rabbi cried out, trouble. He's been hunting me, driving his nails into my head, my heart, my loins. He wants to push me. Where? Over the precipice. What precipice? His. He says, I shall rise up and speak. What can I say? Leave me alone. I have nothing to say. I shouted at him, but he refused. Aha! So you refuse, do you? I said to him. All right, then. Now I'll show you. I'll make you detest me. And then you'll leave me alone. I fell, therefore, into every conceivable sin. Into every conceivable sin, cried the rabbi. But the young man did not hear. He had been carried away by his indignation and pain. Why should he choose me? Doesn't he uncover my breast and look in? All the serpents are entwined and hissing there, hissing and dancing all the sins. And above all, oh, the words stuck in his throat. He stopped. Sweat sprouted from the roots of his hair. And above all, the, they asked the rabbi softly, Magdalene, said Jesus, raising his head. Magdalene, the rabbi's face had grown pale. It's my fault, mine, that she took the road she did. I drove her to the pleasures of the flesh when I was still a small child. Yes, I confess it. Listen, rabbi, if you want to be horrified, I must have been it must have been when I was only about three years old. I slipped into your house at a time when no one was home. I took Magdalene by the hand. We undressed and laid down on the ground, pressing together the soles of our naked feet. What joy that was. What a joyful sin. From that time, on Magdalene was lost. She was lost. She could no longer live without a man, without men. He looked at the old rabbi, but the other had placed his head between his knees and did not speak. It's my fault. It's mine. Mine, the son of Mary cried, beating his chest. And, and if, it were, if it were only this, he continued after a moment. But ever since my childhood, Rabbi, I've not only kept the devil of fornication hidden deeply within me, but also the devil of arrogance. Even when I say I was tiny, I could hardly walk at the time. I used to go along the wall, clinging, it, clinging to it to keep myself from falling. 
Even then, I shouted to myself, Oh, what impudence! What impudence! God, make me God! God, make me God! God, make me God! And one day, I was holding a large bunch of grapes in my, in my arms, and a gypsy woman passed by. She came over to me, squatted, and took my hand. Give me the grapes, she said, and I'll tell you your fortune. I gave them to her. She bent over and looked at my palm. Oh, oh, she cried. I see crosses, crosses and stars. Then she laughed. You'll become king of the Jews, she said, and went away. But I believed her and swaggered. And ever since then, Uncle Simeon, I haven't been in my right mind. You're the first person I've told Uncle Simeon until now. I hadn't confessed it to a soul ever since that day. I haven't been in my right mind. He was quiet for a moment, but then, I am Lucifer, he screamed. Me! Me! The rabbi unwedged his head from between his knees and clamped his hand over the young man's mouth. Be still, he ordered. No! I won't be still, said the overwrought youth. Now I started, and it's too late. I won't be still. I'm a liar, a hypocrite. I'm afraid of my own shadow. I never tell the truth. I don't have the courage. When I see a woman go by, I blush. I lower my head, but my eyes fill with lust. I never lift my hand to plunder or to thrash or kill, not because I don't want to, but because I'm afraid. I want to rebel against my mother, the centurion, God, but I'm afraid, afraid, afraid. If you look inside me, you'll see fear, a trembling rabbit sitting in my bowels, fear, nothing else. That is my father, my mother, and my God. The old rabbi took the youth's hands and held them in his own in order to calm him. But Jesus' body was quivering convulsively. Do not be frightened, my child, the rabbi said, comforting him. The more devils we have within us, the more chance we have to form angels. Angel is the name we give to repentant devils. So have faith. But I would like to ask you just one thing, one thing more, Jesus. Have you ever slept with a woman? No, said the youth softly. And do you want to? The youth blushed and did not breathe a word, but the blood was throbbing wildly at his temples. You don't want to? The old man asked once more. I do, 
the youth answered, so softly that the rabbi could hardly hear. But all at once, he gave a start as though he had just woken up and cried. No, I don't. I don't. Why not, asked the rabbi, who could find no other cure for the youth's pain. He knew from his own experience that from the multitudes of those possessed with demons who came to him cursing, frothing at the mouth and screaming that the world was too small for them. Well, they married. And suddenly the world was no longer too small. They had children and grew calm. It's not enough for me. The youth said in a steady voice, I need something bigger. Not enough for you, exclaimed the rabbi with surprise. Well then, what What do you want? Proud, gated, high-rumped Magdalene passed through the youth's mind, her breasts exposed, her lips, her eyes and cheeks covered with makeup, she laughed and her teeth flashed in the sunlight, but as she wriggled up and down before him, her body changed, multiplied, and the son of Mary now saw a lake, which must have been the Lake of Janissaret, and around it, thousands of men and women, thousands of Magdalenes with happy, uplifted faces, and the sun fell upon them and they gleamed. But no, it was not the son, it was himself, Jesus of Nazareth, who was bent over those faces and causing them to overflow with splendor. Whether from joy, desire, or salvation, he could not distinguish. All he saw was the splendor. What are you thinking about? asked the old rabbi. Why don't you answer me? The young man burst out, asking abruptly, do you believe in dreams, Uncle Simeon? I do. I believe in nothing else. One night I dreamed that invisible enemies had me tied to a dead cypress. Long red arrows were sticking into me from my head to my feet, and the blood was flowing. On my head they had placed a crown of thorns, and intertwined with the thorns were fiery letters which said, Saint Blasphemer. I am Saint Blasphemer, Rabbi Simeon, so you'd better not ask me anything else or I'll start my blasphemies. Go ahead, my child. Start, the rabbi said tranquilly, again taking hold of his hand. Start your blasphemies and relieve yourself. There's a devil inside me which cries you're not the son of the carpenter. You're the son of King David. You are not a man. You are the son of man whom Daniel prophesied and still more. The son of God and still more. God! The rabbi listened, bowed over, and shudders passed through his ramshackle body. The youth's chaps, chapped lips were rimmed with froth. His tongue adhered to his palate. He could no longer speak. But what else was he to say? He had already said everything. He felt that his heart had been drained. Jerking his hands free of the rabbi's grip, he got up and he turned to the old man. Have you anything else to ask? He said sarcastically. 
No, replied the old man, who felt all his strength flow out of him into the earth and perish. In his lifetime, he had extracted many devils from the mouths of men. The possessed came from the ends of the earth, and he cured them. Their devils, however, were small and easy. Devils of the bath, of anger, of sickness. But now, how could he wrestle with a devil like this? Outside, the wind of Jehovah still beat on the door, trying to enter. There was no other sound, not a jackal on the earth, nor a crow in the air. Every living thing cowered in fear, waiting for the Lord's anger to pass. And that concludes chapter 10. Wherever you are and whatever you're doing, know that Jesus Christ loves you. And I do too. Have an absolutely beautiful day. Soak this world in all the good things that you can. Do the next right thing. And your day at least should fall into place. Have a fantastic day. Love you. Thanks for being here.